Chapter 4, The First and Second Estates You were also in the beginning with the Father, that which is spirit, even the spirit of truth. Doctrine and Covenants 9, verse 23. The first estate, the premortal realm. How could I ever forget the day I was introduced to the visions of God's dealings with us, his beloved children, while still in the premortal world? In the past, all my visions had dealt with things to come. I was so astonished at the significance of this former life that I was quite caught off guard. I wept openly, and my heart swelled within me. I saw both individuals and groups receiving and accepting sacred assignments pertaining to their earthly missions. It was as if they had been quickened or empowered with such a fantastic sense of purposefulness. All this organizing and ordaining by Jehovah was different than any earthly scenario I had ever witnessed. The Spirit witnessed and testified of these things as I read sacred accounts of those who had been taken back to view their premortal callings and ordinations. It occurred to me that I had been shown a tiny glimpse of the literal birthing of the great doctrine of election, in which choice spirits are set apart and designated in the first estate. Not that the doctrine of election itself was new, but that this marvelous doctrine was now being implemented among a portion of Father's children. In Doctrine and Covenants 138, 53-56, reads in part, and other choice spirits who were reserved to come forth in the fullness of times to take part in laying the foundations of the great latter-day work, I observed that there were among the noble and great ones who were chosen in the beginning, even before they were born. Yet this marvelous truth regarding those who were to participate in the earth early 19th century events of the Restoration is just as applicable to those who were called and ordained by him to take part in what I affectionately refer to as the marvelous and wondrous pre- and early millennial events. In Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and The Pearl of Great Price all contained many priceless gems that bring to light the wonders of our premortal foreordinations. Allow me to present a golden nugget from the Lord's Apostle Peter as stated in 1 Peter 1, verses, verse 20, and 2, verse 9, and 1, verse 2. Who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world, ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Let us also remember who hath called us with a holy calling before the world began, as it states in 2 Timothy 1.9. In contrast to the greatness of the numbers of children assigned here as co-sojourners, we of the very first wave were but few. Comparatively, it was but a tiny little army called with immense and matchless priesthood power. These children were called in advance to guide certain souls through the tribulations to safety in the establishment of his Zion. Surely these godly foreordinations that took place in the first estate became a splendid springboard into our doings and spiritual growth for the second estate. It stands to reason that events that took place in our pre-mortal lives combined to serve as a springboard into our mortal lives. Perhaps there are hundreds, if not thousands, of factors, including first estate foreordinations, which influence the timing of our arrival and the venue of the family into which we are born, the birth order of our grand entrance, and a host of other favorable, favorable circumstances which bear sway with our progression in the telestial world. The second estate, earth existence. Doctrine and Covenants 93.30 says, All truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it, to act for itself as all intelligence also, otherwise there is no existence. Awaiting us in the future are many periods of precursory judgments prior to the final judgment. These judgments can better be 
can be better classified as learning moments which open us up to complete forgiveness through repentance. They are all a part of our eternal progression and proof that our eternal Heavenly Father is willing to extend His grace so that we can continue to try to return to Him, which, after all, is His greatest desire for each of us. At the point of death, there is a shift into another dimension. Physical death is merely the separation of the spirit from the body, with the body and its elements remaining behind. While the spirit either lingers or advances onward, it is my belief that the spirits of men and women are required to either remain or return to the celestial realm to identify with and remember the place of death so that they can personally attend their own funeral service. The service may be what they refer to as a celebration of life or something more formal. Regardless of the setting, the spirit of the deceased is required by heavenly law to not only attend his own funeral, but to move from one person to the next, visiting with each attendee's spirit consciousness, to review the effects of the various interactions which transpired when their life courses intersected with each other. As you can imagine, this will foster feelings of great remorse in the heart of the passing person if he has intentionally or unintentionally inflicted pain and suffering on someone else who remains in the world of the living. If the interactions have been uplifting, inspiring, and genuine, this will cause the heart of the passing one to swell with joy. These impressions are then imprinted into the heart of the once just deceased, there to stay for total recall until future repentance can provide for a forgiving of those not-so-pleasant cause-and-effect interactions. This on-site review may be considered the initial judgment. I have also read about many cases in which the recently departed is received by one or more guides, usually relatives or very familiar individuals, in whom they have sufficient confidence to usher them into the greater light and into the loving arms of those who have been waiting for their arrival. Once we make our initial appearance into the world of spirits, whether it be spirit paradise or prison, a little pause is required by heavenly guidelines. This means there is a designation session for the purpose of the individual to process the results of the personal review of one's lifespan, taking into account the degree of progression that one accomplished in his earthly life in relation to the objectives and goals which had been established in the premortal world. For example, one would pause and ask, To what degree have I taken upon myself the various aspects of the Holy Atonement of my Lord and Savior? This precursory judgment is not held as a tribunal in a formal courthouse with a white-wigged judge holding a gleaming scepter. It is a heavenly privilege and opportunity to hold a very purposeful session of introspection, mirroring, and self-appraisal which spans one's entire second estate journeys. Without proper repentance, after this review of one's mortal probation, it could compromise an opportunity to establish a new set of goals that would apply to the next phases which include both the postmortal spirit world as well as the millennial estate. After all, isn't it all about advancement and progression, seeking the sacred fullness of joy and accomplishing full purpose and potential of our creation? Is there anything else that makes sense for those that are the true children of light who are partakers of the second covenant? The prophet Joseph Smith was only able to divulge to the members of the new fledgling church that smaller portion which they could bear. For example, that marvelous revelation, which is section 76 of Doctrine and Covenants, is a mere 100th part of what was actually seen in that vision of the worlds to come. In Proverbs 1.5 we read, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain to wise counsels. In Doctrine and Covenants 88, 118-119 we are edified by the following, And as all have not faith, 
Seek ye diligently, and teach one another words of wisdom. Yea, seek ye out of the best books words of wisdom. Seek learning even by study and also by faith. Organize yourselves. Prepare every needful thing. Additionally, in section 93, verse 36 of the Doctrine and Covenants, we are reminded that the glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. On April 2, 1843, in Ramus, Illinois, a marvelous revelation was given to Joseph Smith, which altered the course of our understanding forever. That revelation is recorded in Doctrine and Covenants 130, 18-21. Whatever principle of intelligence we attain to in this life, it will rise with us in the resurrection. And if a person gains more knowledge and intelligence in this life through his diligence and obedience than another, he will have so much the advantage in the world to come. There is a law irrevocably decreed in heaven before the foundations of the world upon which all blessings are predicated. And when we obtain any blessing from God, it is by obedience to that law upon which it is predicated. We read wondrous accounts of just men made perfect, each of which have attained a certain level of justification coupled with sanctification, who have made conscious choices to serve additional missions in the hope of achieving a better resurrection. And the Spirit witnesses to us that this is a true principle. John the Beloved, as well as the three Nephites, were all apostles who belonged to their respective quorum of the Twelve. When the four of them chose to remain on this fallen celestial earth to endure more of the world and to serve more time and more missions, it was because the Spirit and the Master himself bore witness to them that they would be more blessed for these acts and additional service and self-sacrifice. Likewise, in the here and now, newly translated beings who pertain to the first wave comprise a whole new generation of those to whom the Lord is granting the sincere desires of their hearts to remain in the flesh a while longer. They will self-sacrifice with greater depth and holiness and purposefulness, rescue and bring back to godly safe harbors those who will be willing or who will be able and willing to retain soft, teachable hearts and wage the great and mighty spiritual warfare right on the very front lines in ways and with means that we are not yet even able to comprehend. They will act on and put into practice all that they have learned regarding the hope of achieving a better resurrection, and earn by their great faith and valor the right to one day stand in utter confidence and assurance in the presence of their greatest gospel heroes, knowing full well that they too have sacrificed all and given their lives in the worthy cause of Christ, the Holy One of Israel. Be courageous. Take a bold position. Stand your ground, fight, and face the enemy head on. Remain unfazed by the ranting and threatenings of of the demons, devils, and the damned soul, soulless minions of hell itself. Come to a dramatic knowing of who and what you really are, a son or daughter of the Most High God. Stand and claim the blessings that pertain to those who are of the royal birthright and drawn, and draw down the powers of armies of heaven. Come now and realize fully that you were always, even from before the foundation of the world, meant for the front lines of this holy and godly battlefield. You are not to be stationed in a wimpy, hapless, behind-the-scenes, relatively safe, telestial mash unit. The long-awaited time has come, and it is now. Awaken, arise, fight. In completeness, fulfill every whit of your divine destiny, for you were born for such a time as this. <laughs>